Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to artists about their favorite albums. Today I'm talking with Mark Palm of the band Supercrush. Supercrush released their long-awaited debut album, Soto Pop, October 9th, 2020 on Don Giovanni Records. Today is my birthday, and I still haven't received my pre-order. But, you know, that's how it goes with vinyl sometimes. Anywho, today on the pod we talked about the 1994 album Super Unknown by Soundgarden. This album is a personal favorite of, well, both of us. As always with this series, great pivots around the subject you can hear for yourself. So like I mentioned previously, today is 12-14-2020 and it's my birthday. So how about doing this? Find us on Twitter and Instagram and following these pages. Another good gift would be by doing the whole rate, review, and subscribe thing. With that out of the way, on to the episode. vegan or do you simply enjoy good food delivered straight to your door then you should probably check out nourish nourish offers culturally diverse gluten-free organic vegan food for meal delivery and catering all while enriching their community employees and our planet if you're in charlotte north carolina you can find them at nourishcharlotte.com if you're in the new york area check out nourishdelivered.nyc nourish yourself you deserve it So actually, first, I wanted to start this episode by with an apology uh, to you. And the apology is actually, I was looking through my email just to kind of make sure we set everything up for this episode correctly. Mm-hmm. And I realized, uh, I'm not going to give the date away, but the first time we ever talked on email, I wasn't able to book a show for devotion. And I feel uh, like now looking back, I feel like I, I didn't realize that was you. Um, we, so I'm apologizing. These <laughs> <minutes later. laughs> Wait, was I can't, I can't remember that. Was that a show that I was hoping to play at Lunchbox Records? Is that right? Yeah. yeah and like with Give, I think. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah. And yeah. I, I really can't imagine like what would have happened that wouldn't have allowed that. Cause I think at that point we had already had Give. Um, and I think from looking at the email, it was like I was telling you, like, hey, these venues have shows open that night, and you mm-hmm. might have either taken it at those other venues. So that's sometimes what we'll do at Lunchbox. Like, since it's a volunteer-run space, it's like, you know, it's like when we do it, it's like, hey, can, are you free this night and stuff? Um, so trying to get a few people that are able to run it can be hard. And sometimes people, I feel like, view that as, like, we don't want to do their shows, but it's really, Mm -hmm. like, someone has, like, kids or just, you know, whatever the case might be, especially, this was many years ago, so I don't know what the reason would have been. But then, if so, if we can push it to, like, a legit venue that does things before, um, you know, that's easier for us as volunteers Mm -hmm. at the space. Um, That's so so. funny, because that was years before we actually met in real life. 
Yeah. Because you did do a show for us at Lunchbox. Yeah. Because yeah. I was like, didn't even really put it together until that, that moment that I, you know, talked to you that far back. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, and kind of another, uh, I guess, anecdote that we both lived through. Um, so there was, it was last summer. Um, uh, my band's playing a show in Vancouver and mm-hmm. then someone that looks like you is coming down the street and you call for me and I'm like, it's like weird to see people in cities that you don't think they're in. Oh yeah. And then sure. you kind of have to do like a, like, it's like your brain's just like, I, you know, it's like, I could imagine that this would happen in like Seattle where I, I guess thought you had spent a lot of time or, mm-hmm. you know, whatnot. But it's like, if you're in like, I mean, Vancouver is just a whole different city. So it was kind of, I mean, you explained it, but it, it was just funny in the moment where it's like, what are you doing here? Like, yeah. Uh, that happens all the time. Cause I meet so many people on tour over the years, but I think in my mind, I associate people so closely with, uh, the context of the location or the city where I met them. Yeah. So like you said, if, if I meet someone on tour and then I run into them again in the same town that I met them, chances are very good that I'll remember them. But if I run into them in some random city, I'll be like totally flummoxed and I'll know, I'll be like, Oh, I know this person, but who the hell, like, where did I meet this? You know, it gets confusing. Yeah. There was, there's been a lot of times with like, I'll be somewhere with, uh, my partner Sarah and uh, I mean it feels like it's like when we went to like Mexico it's like there'll always be someone that I know in some context like I don't mm-hmm. think it was specifically on that trip but it's like just random places and then I'll just run into people that I know like and that's it's really it's just so weird like places that you never expected them or like sometimes like people I went to high school with that I'm like what are you doing here? Like this is, it's, it's just feels like it's like a glitch in the matrix or something. Just like, you know, this should. It's funny that you say that about your reaction being, what are you doing here? Cause I get that all the time too, because I'm sort of always like bouncing around. Like I live in Seattle, but I spend a bunch of time in Vancouver because my partner lives in Vancouver. That's where I'm at right now. And I lived in, San Francisco for a couple of years and then back in Vancouver and then I lived in Oakland for a couple of years. So wherever I am, people are always like surprised to see me. Yeah. Even if I live there, like I'll run into people on the street in Seattle and they'll be like, Oh, Hey man, what are you doing here? I'm like, what do you mean? I live here. Yeah. Or I'll be in Vancouver and I'll run into someone and they'll be like, Oh, Hey, are you visiting from California? Like people are always a little surprised to see me. No matter. <laughs> Well, today we're talking about, uh, you know, Soundgarden, Super Unknown. But for that, just to kind of, I guess, wrap up this segment of uh, where did I see you last? Um, it was like one thing I was when I was looking up information about like Go It Alone was a Vancouver band. Yeah, yeah. That's where I grew up. Okay. So by that context, um, so you are originally a Canadian citizen? Yeah, yeah. I have dual citizenship because I was born and raised in Canada, uh, but my mother is an American citizen. So I've just always had American citizenship as well through my mother. Do you feel like at this specific time, 
do you consider yourself lucky now to be a Canadian citizen to not have to deal with the U.S. at this moment? Uh, I more feel super fortunate to have just to have the dual citizenship. Yeah. Uh, and I've felt that way for many, many years, especially being from Canada and playing in Canadian bands. Every time we would go on tour in the States, it would be like a complete headache for all my bandmates to get across the border. But it would be a total piece of cake for me because I was an American citizen, you know? Yeah. And like, I know so many other Canadian bands who have been like banned from the United States for five years at a time. People get jammed up at the border all the time. Um, but I just sort of have like um, ease of movement between the two countries, which is like such a privilege. Yeah, they've, it's everyone, before we ever played uh, Canada, everyone always kind of give you like the, not the, I guess horror stories is the easy way to put it. Just kind of like, mm -hmm. this is exactly what you need to say to the border crossing guy. And so I like had things kind of written out, had the explanation of the show. Mm -hmm. And then they were like, just basically asked like, how much do you think you'll, you have in merch and how much do you think you'll make tonight and then it was like such low numbers that they were like just go like yeah 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 well by the time you went up there it had gotten a lot easier like when i was younger crossing the border both ways was a total nightmare for for bands um but in the last like five or ten years i suppose the canada has made it a lot easier for american artists to enter the country. But for some reason that's not reciprocated by the United States. So for Canadian bands, it's still a total pain in the ass. To, to yeah, it seems like uh, from my understanding, it's almost like like $1,500 a person to just get the proper work permit. So I'm not sure if it's that expensive, but there it is. is. I don't know the cost, but yeah, it is expensive. And it's a, like a ton of paperwork. Like you have to submit the paperwork for every single show on the tour. So you have to have all the, like, all the information from each promoter, each venue and so forth. And you have to submit that like months in advance of the tour. I know all this because uh, last summer we did a North American tour and uh, our friend Mikey was playing guitar. He's Canadian. So he, he went about it um, like the official route and got the work permit so he could cross because the tour that we did cross the board we had to cross the border i think four times um because we were kind of going back and forth between canada and the u.s um so yeah he did all the paperwork paid the fee and got the the work permit which is like a ton of work for him but it was it was totally worth it just for the peace of mind because i've been in bands before like when i was 18 i was in a band or 19 i was in a band that had a full north american tour booked and it involved us crossing the border a couple times uh, so we had made it all the way out to the east coast of canada to newfoundland as far east as you could possibly go and then after that we were supposed to cross into the states and go down the eastern seaboard and we got denied at the border between uh, Nova Scotia and I guess Maine, perhaps. Um, we got denied at the border. Uh, 
we tried again the next day and got denied. And they told us if we tried a third time that they would seize the van and all the equipment in it. <laughs> so we were like thousands and thousands of miles away from home, no shows. And we had to drive all the way back across Canada to get home. So we managed to like scrape together like a handful of last minute shows just to like get just on the way back. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then of course I was fine at the border after that because I was an American citizen, but all my bandmates who were just Canadians, their names were flagged for years after that. So every single time they tried to cross the border for any reason, they would get pulled in and questioned. Would they normally be let in? It was just like a big process. Sometimes it would be that. And sometimes they would get denied. Yeah. Uh, first time I went through, we went through the wrong line, but it was after they flagged us through. There's like the, uh, I think it's like a expedited line. Yeah. The uh, Nexus. And so essentially it's like it forks off and I just took the fork to the wrong side mm-hmm. and then they brought us in and yeah. like, you know, because they were like, why would you be going through that line? And I'm like, I've never, you know, just say it kind of forks to a point and you can't like totally. back up in a big van, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah. yeah. Uh, but I guess as we, once again, today we are talking about uh, Super Unknown by Soundgarden. Yes. And um, I listened to this album so much um, to review and uh but it but mainly because i remembered how much i liked this record and yeah yeah and uh but my wife yesterday was like please i don't want to hear black hole sun like any <laughs> please stop <laughs> playing this record but i was like i gotta brush up you know like, oh yeah for sure i mean know. i did too it's funny i i woke up early this morning uh to make sure i could listen to the record in full before we got got online together and I had forgotten like how much of a time investment that is because the, yeah. the album is an hour and 10 minutes long yeah so I, I to be honest I didn't even have enough time I, I think there's two songs at the end that I didn't get to this morning. yeah I feel like though with like records like this technically we probably could have kind of reviewed the track list mm-hmm. and been fine like I, I'm assuming like you've heard it like oh, yeah. as much as Hundreds. I have, if not more, <laughs> potentially, yeah. you know, like I, I, now that I look through everything, I'm like, I could, like, I don't really have this like recall where if someone usually tells me a song name, mm-hmm. like, unless it's like obvious song, like, I can't really think about what song it is in my head. Like, I feel like I never know any song titles. Like, mm-hmm. like sometimes people will be like, do you like, what do you think about this? Like Dinosaur Junior song? And I don't know if it's specifically a dinosaur junior thing, but I'm like, I don't know what song that is, you know? Uh, like I just, I don't, but a lot of these songs, I feel like I can hear the song in my head. Yeah. When I look at the name of the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Uh, but at the same time, I think usually I just listen to the album in full when I do listen to it. So it's not even like, usually I don't like just pick certain songs. I like the whole album. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what... There's a specific song. Like, sometimes now, since I've been listening to so many, like, longer albums with this podcast, like, um, there's, like, a point in a record where I start, like, thinking about what songs could be cut. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like if I, it's like if I had to make this, if I tried to put this under an hour, because it's like, I never really understand why like almost any record ever is like over an hour. But I, yeah. Because I, I always noticed that in this era, there was a lot of really long records. And my theory is that this is when CDs came into prominence, you know, the 80s, 90s. Um, so I think bands maybe were just thrilled that they had 74 minutes of, of space that they could work with. Whereas if you're doing a single LP, you're, you know, limited to, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes, you know, before you start losing sound quality. So I, I wonder if once CDs were the main format that music was being listened to, I wonder if bands finally felt free to just like make a long, a super long album. Yeah, I guess I never thought about it in that regard because it's like when you existed as a band before CDs, um, you probably had to be a bigger band. I mean, just in the same way as now, but like it's going to be a big investment if you go into like a double LP situation. You know, so like, yeah, I mean, you had to be like Pink Floyd or some Mm -hmm. equivalent that, you know, the label probably thought so. So as it got into CDs, like, I guess, I assume there's like original vinyl copies of Super Unknown, but, you know, that wasn't the big investment by like the label probably. Yeah, I'm sure that was more of like a limited edition thing. Yeah. At that time. Um, I did some research this morning, actually, and I read an excerpt from an interview where one of the guys from the band was saying that you were talking about which songs could have been cut and they were saying that they just, the reason why the album is so long or or one of the reasons is they just didn't want to cut any songs. They didn't want to have the arguments because the thing is every member of the band writes songs. It's not just one songwriter. Uh, The drummer writes songs, bass player, the guitar player and the singer, they all write songs, music and lyrics. Um, so you can imagine it might get sort of like personal when you're trying to discuss whose songs are going to get cut from the album and whose songs are going to make it. So it sounded like they just wanted to avoid that conflict altogether. So they just put everything on the record. Yeah. But there's, I think there's really only like one song and now I can't even think about which one it was. Um, there's almost like, I think it might be like kickstand, uh, but basically it's like, I think that's like the faster song. Yeah, that's like the punk song kind of. Yeah, it's sometimes whenever, especially after like a song like Day I Tried to Live, you know, it's like this, like if I imagine this being played in full in a live setting, it almost feels like that song exists. Like we got to get the crowd back, man. But it's like, but it's like your sound garden, you know, it's like, I mean, I guess (laughs) they probably have those inner turmoil too with it, but it's like, you don't have to. Like sometimes when I feel like bands do that and I know Mm -hmm. I've, done it a bunch so you know it's like but um i'm like that song could have been cut or that song could have been and it's still not a bad song it's just like it kind of like is it's it's almost just like a sequelitis kind of thing it's like it's only bad because of what you have right compared to it before it's a little like out of character with the rest of the album yes um i always sort of I, i have no idea what the circumstances were but I always sort of chalked that song up to, to like, I know that was one was written by Kim, the guitar player. And I always in my head imagined that he was more of like 
maybe he was more into like sort of punk stuff and was like, oh man, we got to at least have like one like raging song <laughs> on the record. Yeah, yeah, it's funny though, whenever you get to like your fourth record though, um, and it's like you go like, oh, this record, we have to have that kind of punk song, but it's like, you know, we have other older songs that fit that thing. We don't have to do this. Mm-hmm. Like you don't really have to do shit when you're at your fourth record, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get it, but you know, it's funny when I was looking on like Wikipedia because I also wrote down kind of like who wrote each song. It was like all songs written by Chris Cornell, unless otherwise noted. But then, like, it was like so many other notes. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seemed like Chris did like the majority. He, majority. I mean, he did more writing than anyone else. But like I said, there's songs written by every member of the band, which I always thought was cool. Like ever since I was a little kid with this album and also the previous album, uh, Bad Motor Finger. I had that on CD when I was a kid and I would just pour over the liner notes. And I remember noticing that from a young age, like, oh, like every member of the band is writing songs and lyrics too, which is like that, because I was a drummer. That was my first instrument was drums. So I was always impressed that the drummer in Soundgarden was writing songs and lyrics. Yeah, it's yeah. When even when I was writing it down and I, I noted that you know Matt Cameron wrote Mailman, mm-hmm. I felt yeah, like, that's oh, like the drummer wrote really song. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, and then yeah, even like you were saying, you know, uh, Ben Shepard wrote Head Down completely mm-hmm. you know, himself. He's the only credit for it. And then Ben Shepard also wrote Half. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, yeah, just. Yeah, not not like what, I mean, I'm a bass player that writes songs, but, you know, but like it's not commonly the thought, especially in a band where I feel like for the most part, every accolade gets thrown toward uh, Chris Cornell and, mm-hmm. you know, Kim, you know, for good reason, I guess, that they did like the bulk of the writing, but, you know, yeah, they definitely see that it was good. This is probably like, total oversimplification of the band dynamic but i've heard it described by some people as like chris cornell was sort of bringing like a pop element to the band that maybe was not always exactly what kim wanted to do and then kim was the guy who was more interested in playing the like heavy more like sabbathy type of stuff i don't know if that's accurate but if that would that does fit with the music especially on this record because it has like that sort of pop element but at the same time it's like like i've heard it described as the beatles meets black sabbath which is yeah i think pretty accurate yeah i think what well like actually with reading the uh tony retman article that you wrote Mm -hmm. um so would you say this is your favorite soundgarden record it's my favorite record that's your favorite record. I mean, I know we that's you know the bulk of this podcast and what you chose, but um, so that's yeah, that's a bold statement. Um, I agree too, and I've had pushback uh when I was younger, like people would just be, but I think that Chris Cornell sounds the best that he ever sounded. Um, I was thinking about that too, actually, today. I think his performance on this record is my favorite Chris Cornell performance. But I think his most like just impressive as far as just like 
virtuosic wailing and like incredible vocal range is the Temple of the Dog album. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, I much I much prefer this Soundgarden album to that, but when I do listen to that Temple of the Dog record, I'm always like blown away by what he's doing with his voice. I feel like it's it's almost like a meme at this point, like Temple of the Dog, like mm-hmm. but I feel like I go back to it more than I would have thought when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I find myself listening to Temple of the Dog on like a monthly basis. It's got some great like, songs. And that kind of surprises me now. Um, but like when I was thinking about like like Ultra Mega Okay or mm-hmm. um, you know any of the other things, like the thing that sometimes like um, before I kind of came back to this one for this specifically, I think the first time I really heard these songs or really like sat with them was not really like through this album specifically, but through the collection called A Sides. Oh, okay. And it has, you know, a lot of these tracks on there. Um, but because of, you know, some of the things that you also talk about, like in the Tony Rettman article, like, you know, it's like kind of growing up punk and like hardcore and whatnot. And you almost like throw out the things that you used to be into and kind of take on this new identity. And so they're almost, when I kind of wanted to start picking up like Soundgarden again, I felt like uh, I would go back to the early records um, because that was sort of like, okay, because they were SST. Yeah. They were more connected to like yeah. underground music. But as much as, I mean, I, I love those records, but sometimes like Chris Cornell, like the, since he usually just does like the high range, mm-hmm. like it can kind of grate on me like 30 minutes in. Yeah. But like this album specifically it's like so much, you know, it's like, but in a good way, like, it's like, you know, I, I love his low register. Like, I love that he kind of found that and like stuck it a lot. And definitely this. Yeah. Era. I was thinking about that too, in relation to the temple of the dog record. Cause like I was saying, I think the temple of the dog record is so impressive. Like he's just wailing and just singing super high notes. And then on this record, super unknown it's maybe less impressive in that sense but he uses his voice in like a much more varied and like diverse way like you were saying he does a lot of low register stuff he does a lot of doubling his vocals like in multiple octaves he does some like background just like talking voice stuff it's pretty like he really uses his voice as an instrument and gets a lot of different sounds out of it yeah it's it's been actually a lot of I've been trying to do that a little bit more on recordings, like lately, kind of more like home recordings. Uh, but as we're kind of getting demos together for like a new record, like thinking about these things, and I'm, I'm no Chris Cornell, but you know, it's like, um, uh, but where I kind of got that idea to kind of like do different octaves, uh, mm-hmm. like that was actually from like Guns N' Roses. Like Axl oh, cool. Rose does it a lot, like in like specifically like Paradise City. I mean, there's a ton of you know what i act like is the only record they ever did uh appetite for destruction um i say that but you know usually i feel like user illusion could have been like one really good album like if it got pared down but to my point um that's kind of where i got it from like paradise city is like really try if you do that low register and you do like a higher register i feel like i kind of naturally sing a little higher um Mm -hmm. 
not Chris Cornell high, but if you do it together, you kind of create like, you know, what I would imagine is almost like a good, strong singing voice, you know? So it's like good. And also if you listen on headphones, it's, it's a really cool effect with it that Chris Cornell uses a lot. And I don't know if that's, there's probably, there's so many representations probably in rock that you can use that Chris Cornell like takes it to the next level. Big time. And just, he has so much range with his voice that he can do that in octaves that a lot of people would be incapable of doing. Yeah. And like, there's, it's like, yeah, I'll do a lower register. I'll do like a higher register, but all of his registers are like his strongest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like they're all like his low register is, I think in a way like better than his high register, but it's makes me very angry that like he's so capable of, or was so capable of both. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, but even when you think of like the band as a whole, it's like, when I start like stacking it up against like other kind of grunge bands, um, I think that Soundgarden is by far the best one, just in, in sake of like musicians. I mean, they have arguably the greatest rock singer of all time. Obviously, you could say, you could choose a couple others, but no one would really be able to, no one would call you crazy if you said they had the greatest rock singer of all time. And they also have the greatest, arguably the greatest rock drummer of all time. Yeah. So that's a pretty powerful combination. And then they just have sort of like a bugged out, weird, noisy guitar player. It's an interesting combination that I, I didn't, and I didn't really realize that when I was a kid. Like I said, when I, was young I was a drummer and so I loved Matt Cameron the drummer of Soundgarden and I recognized that he was an incredible drummer and I sort of just assumed that all the other players were like world-class like kind of like virtuoso players as well and it, it took me until I was an adult to realize like oh Kim Thale's guitar playing is awesome I love it but it's not like super precise super clean virtuoso style guitar playing he's not like eddie van halen or something it's pretty like like his guitar solos on super unknown are awesome i love them but they're really chaotic and sort of messy um and they sound sort of off the cuff not like particularly thought out or particularly based in like musical theory you know yeah used to be coming much more from the approach of like just creating a, a cool atmosphere rather than like actual shredding you know what i mean yeah and i think i think like because the rhythm section uh was so strong that it kind of allowed him to do that i mean that might have been like kind of how they adapted like their song right it's funny to think of him as like the almost like the weak link in the band like if you're using yeah, i mean i don't i don't want to say that because like i said yeah. i'm a huge he's awesome but comparatively almost but it's like it's 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 not a great choice of words to use so Mm -hmm. kim if you're listening to this i apologize (laughs) like that's not but it's funny because it's like to me he's still like just a way above a lot of other people right right yeah so it's sort of like comparatively (laughs) that's a yeah that's a spot to put him on it's sort and they've it's like they've always had good bases you know like Ben Shepard's amazing but Hero was really good too 
Mm-hmm. And so was yeah, Jason Averman. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, um, just such an interesting. He's such a interesting crazy, career, interesting character. Like he, um, ah, just the thing where he left. I guess well, when he left when he left Soundgarden because I think it was what he did Nirvana first. He played second guitar in Nirvana, mm-hmm. went to Soundgarden, played bass in Soundgarden, left, and then joined the military. Not quite. He left and joined okay. Mind Funk. Oh, Mind Funk. All right. And then he joined the military. Wait, was Mind <laughs> Funk the uh, post uh... uniform choice? Yes. Oh, okay. Pat Dubar. So yeah. So that was obviously after uh what staring at the sun that's right yeah yeah <laughs> mind funk uh <laughs> it's just it's crazy to think that so many things had like either grooves or funk in its name in the 90s at that point the 90s were a funky time yeah as like far as i can tell 80s, early 90s, <laughs> like, um people love funk but you know, but it's, uh, it's, that's, that's like a wormhole on its own just to think about like, okay, so after Mindfunk, Jason Averman went, then he joined the military or probably he mm. had other bands. I think he joined the military a little later because I think he served in like Afghanistan. So that would have been a few years later. Okay. Yeah. But that's, that's weird to think of someone that's involved in like, I guess when you think of it from a rock standpoint, but I still almost like put them in like, you know, they're still like kind of punks or like just rock dudes of that type, punk or rock dudes, you know, this weird mix. Um, mm-hmm. But then to just join the military, it's just. Yeah, it is. It is bizarre. Yeah. But, strange, strange path. Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And then I feel like this is like the moment where you're like, well, I was in the military. For... <laughs> I was definitely not in the military. Uh, no. <laughs> Um, but I do come from like a like heavy military family where it was uh-huh. like basically expected that okay. I would join the Navy and I tried. Um, really? Yeah, I tried because essentially I got in a wreck and mm-hmm. my family was so poor. I didn't know what I was going to do for like going to college or just buying a new car. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad told me I was still 17 I just graduated early and moved out but my dad was like they give you bonuses for the navy and I was already like you know a punk kid that like like fat record stuff and epic yeah. or whatever um and it just seemed to be my only choice mm-hmm. you know and uh so I went signed up for six years and um they were going to give me like I don't know, $1,500. So I told myself I was going to buy a motorcycle. Um, and then just, I didn't get in because I'm like deaf in my left ear. So, okay. So, yeah. Man, I'm glad you didn't get in. <laughs> yeah. But it's crazy. Like, cause of even like six years from that point, it's like, you know, get into like the age thing now, but just like how much more of my life I've lived since that point that I just would have been done with mm-hmm. it but also i uh, would have went to afghanistan yeah exactly you would have possibly had to do horrific stuff yeah or i guess at the point i would have went to i don't know which one i guess i, I would have went to like iraq or whichever one was a little later but yeah, that's, um that, and that's just being like a person that never you know i never wanted to join the military but you kind of mm-hmm. get to a point where you're like i don't know what i'm going to do with my life so 
it's funny though it's like you know it's like he was already in nirvana then soundgarden and then still it was something like i guess i'll do this you know like it's it's such a strange thing and i'm thinking about it too because like the guy in uh heroin that screamo band mm-hmm. he did like the same thing he's i think the drum or the singer in antioch era mm-hmm. um he joined the military after being in heroin mm. yeah it's to me i mean to me it's very bizarre but i grew up in like such a different culture i guess just in the family that i grew up in and growing up in vancouver canada it's like i definitely didn't come from like a military background so to me, to me, a story like that is just insane. But I'm sure if you're coming from a different background, um, it's not as unusual. Not it hard seems to, more insane in the U.S. now based on like kind of like what, like, I mean, I, I grew up like pretty conservative family. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't weird. I think it only started being weird to me because like of getting involved with like punk. But even still, like my brother introduced me to punk and he joined the Coast Guard um, after high school because he kind of had a similar thing. Like they'll pay, for, big thing was like, they'll pay for college. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, we didn't know how else we would go to college. It was like probably not going to be college. We couldn't figure out how to make our own money for it. So he joined the Coast Guard because he thought that'd be like the easiest thing. Um, so, but even for him joining, like, if you knew him now, he actually lives in the Pacific Northwest, it would be like, not the person you would expect in, in mm-hmm. a military thing. But yeah, so to kind of answer your question, like from coming from a conservative family, uh, it wasn't that weird growing up, mm-hmm. like doing it. So I wonder politically, like, where jason everman like you know but i think some people probably just do it because they feel like it's something they should do and don't really think about it much more than that um which sounds weird now with distance from it mm-hmm. yeah for sure yeah but yeah weird weird tangent um but <laughs> did not play on this record so um <laughs> yeah but um i was even you know just kind of like back to what i was saying like with the looking at the other records like ultra mega okay louder than love bad motor finger and then super unknown and then they had a record after this down on the upside and then did you ever get into king animal no i listened to it maybe once when it came out and i didn't enjoy it very much and every now and then i think to myself that i should really revisit it and give it a chance you know them being my favorite band you would think that i would at least you know give it a fair shot um so i should do that eventually how about you did you like it at all i feel like i did the exact same thing i listened to it once and kind of was like everything's there like it's like they're giving a you know but it also just kind of yeah i mean i feel like i listened to it once so it's kind of hard to say like you know maybe that's our next project we'll spend the next few weeks like yeah, deep dive. parading our partners with the most recent or the last uh, sound <laughs> that's right that's right so i'm sure there's i'm sure there's gems on there yeah i mean uh i don't i don't even really know if i've spent a lot of time with down on the upside i think that's a good record okay yeah because i feel like in my head, I always, I always like tell myself that Super Unknown was the last one before they broke up. And then Super Unknown is like 
I vastly prefer it to Dan on the Upside, but Dan on the Upside has some good songs for sure. And uh, I happen to have a CD copy of it in my van that I've been listening to recently. So yeah, yeah. I've been enjoying it. It's a good record. So I guess like uh, if we just almost like rate grunge bands, uh, where would you put 10? <laughs> where would I put the Pearl Jam album 10? No, Tad. The oh, Tad. <laughs> um, it's funny. I'm not very familiar with Tad at all, but it's interesting that you bring that up because I just sort of out of the blue decided to listen to them like about a week ago. And I recall thinking, I didn't love it, but I recall thinking like this, I think this is actually grunge music. Yeah. Like it sounds grungy. You know what I mean? Do you know what like, album you listen to? Uh, it might have been, what do they got? They got Eight Way Santa. They yeah. got Balls, God's Ball. It was God's Balls, yeah. Uh, Eight Way Santa's better. Okay, okay. Um, I would say if you had one Tad record, make it Eight Way Santa. Okay, okay. And then the one that, uh, um, they have weird, names so um the one that has like a rc car on it and like a dog mm-hmm. uh, chasing it um i think jay mascus produced it that okay. one's good too okay i should uh, check it out but for the most part eight way santa like you can't go wrong with. that's the one um and well even when i think about like i feel like if there's like a top tier you know of grunge bands like nirvana's probably lower tear on it for me which is like always like people are like you're just being like a dick you know <laughs> when you say it but i soundgarden's like higher to me i'll go oh, yeah. back to it more yeah well the thing is like to me at least i mean i love nevermind i'm like a huge nevermind yeah. fan which is i guess no surprise because usually i'm sort of like a pop despite the fact that i love super unknown usually i'm more of like a pop type guy in that I like concise songwriting and you know uh pop hooks and like pop sensibility and song structure and stuff like that um so I love uh Nevermind for that reason but I guess the the difference is Nevermind you could listen to it I think a handful of times and start sort of like understand the whole record you know what I mean whereas Whereas Super Unknown, I've been listening to it for 26 years now, 26 or 27 years. And I discover something new every single time I listen to it. It's like so dense and so deep and there's so much going on that it's sort of like the record that just keeps giving, you know what I mean? Whereas whereas Nevermind, for example, every time I listen to it, I'm like, wow, these are great songs. And there is yeah. more going on than you might think. Like the bass lines are more interesting than you might, uh, than you might think off the bat. But it's just not as like deep of a record musically as something like Super Yeah, Unknown. I feel like it's like musically for what I like, I'm probably would be more drawn to uh, like Super Unknown, but the music that I write will always probably be more akin to Nevermind. Like, it's just, right, I right. feel like I have kind of like that pop brain too. Like, I wish it was mm-hmm. like, always, I, it's like, I think you 
probably also like listen to things that don't encompass completely like what you write you know it's almost like a it's like I wish that I had that like I don't I don't feel like I have like a riff brain right okay and I wish I did like it's you know um but it's it's like hook first you know right right first it was always for me it's it's interesting like coming to that realization that what you write is not necessarily what you want to listen to yeah. It took me until like the last maybe five, six years to like reach that point. You know, for many, many years, I would like listen to a band and be super into it. Like, let's say Soundgarden. And I would just love it so much that I would think my, my response would be like, oh, I want to play in a band that sounds like this. But, but not really taking into consideration like, oh, is that actually what I'm good at? You know what I mean? So like, Soundgarden is a band that I love to listen to, but that doesn't necessarily mean that 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 type of songwriting is my strength. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it took me until more recent years to kind of accept that and sort of make peace with the fact that like I have a certain skill set, I suppose, or like a certain aptitude for writing a certain type of music. And it's not necessarily going to be what I want to listen to. Like yeah. I probably listen to more metal and more rap than anything else, but the, the bit, but I don't think that means I should pursue a rap career. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, so I, now, yeah, I've thought about it in a way that like kind of the same thing, but just like with, with hardcore, I feel like I've never been in a band that someone could easily classify as just like hardcore. Like I've been in like a fast punk band and then like, almost like a Swedish style melodic hardcore band, but like, right. you know, like just nothing that it was sort of like, you would know this is hardcore, you know, but it's, it's also almost for that same reason. Like, it's like, I love hardcore so much. I don't want to be in a bad hardcore band. You know, it's right, like, right. I would do it poorly. Cause I think I, I could only get it as close to like an abrasive pop punk or something. And then I'd be really bummed. See, that's it's like, it's always going to be poppy. You know? That's very similar like to me and my relationship to rap like I listen to rap all the time and I could try to do that myself you know what I mean because I'm such a fan you might think that it would be easy to get the inspiration to to try to do it myself but I love I guess I love rap like you were saying about hardcore I love rap too much to like do a crappy to make to contribute something. So you wow. wouldn't do like an MC Palm or something? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So I guess now what I try to do is if I listen to music and I love it, no matter what the genre is, instead of trying to be like literally influenced by what I'm hearing and try to recreate those sounds or that genre, I'll just try to take the like inspiration from it and apply that to my own thing. So I could listen to Soundgarden and think, wow, this album is so good. I want to try to make an album that's this good. Instead of saying, I want to make an album that sounds exactly like this. You know, or I could listen to a rap record and be like, wow, this is so good. I want to make something that's this good. But not necessarily, I want to make something that sounds like this. A quick question that, that makes me think, like when you were kind of learning guitar and drums growing up, do you feel like you spent a lot of time learning covers? No, never. Which was like sort of 
sort of unique. Uh, most people, I most didn't people, yeah, it's cool. I mean, I think it's good and bad. See, my whole thing was like, uh, I like I said earlier, I played drums first, and then a couple years after that, I got a guitar because I was interested in writing songs. And it's, you know, you don't usually write songs on drums, so I got a guitar and became obsessed with writing songs. And I never really had much interest in playing other people's songs because the whole point in me playing guitar was to write my own song. And I, and as such, like, I didn't even develop an interest in the instrument itself or like, I didn't have any interest in like developing my playing in a technical sense for years until I was an adult because I was, my only interest in the guitar was it's uh, as a tool to write songs. You know what I mean? Well, that's still what I use a guitar for. <laughs> right. Like, in more recent years, I've like developed an interest in actually trying to like uh, become a little bit more skillful in my playing. And I've developed an interest in the instrument itself. Like I have a bunch of guitars now and I care about guitars. Whereas for like, I don't know, 20 years, I just had the shittiest possible guitar and I didn't care because I could write songs on it. So that, that was good enough. Yeah, I mean... I a lot of my kind of journey with being I guess a musician and I feel like even sometimes I, I cringe at calling myself a musician um, but like it's like I'm left-handed so it's always been kind of a battle like growing up my dad would always uh, just like learn on my guitar and then it's just I'm like the most left-handed person ever like you know like it just didn't make sense until like at a point I got a left-handed bass and then it was like this is so much easier than, you know, anything. And then just almost like just became more of a musician in air quotes, just out of utility. Like everything's just been utility for me. It was mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. I was always a singer in my earlier bands. And then it got to a point where I almost got tired of waiting for them to write things. And then, so I remember writing a song for my like fast punk band and they, we played it, you know, but I, barely knew how to play bass it was just like they kind of took what I had and you know uh, and then so after that I was like I need to play bass more and so even picking up guitar from that was just wanting to kind of expand so you can kind of flesh out the song a little bit more uh, but yeah so since it mainly I guess like I never really learned cover covers because by the time I picked up bass it was just for the sake of like playing in a band so it wasn't like like, I don't even know if I could play, like, Smoke on the Water if I try. I mean, I can. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not hard, but it's, like, it's not there. Like, sometimes people will pick it up and they'll play, like, easy Green Day songs, but I never really spent time doing that. Right, right. You know, and, but also, I, I, the reason I mention it is because, like, I think you may made me realize something about myself where it's, like, our kind of, like, something we were talking about before we started, um, you know, it's like, I don't know if we can really do the genre exercises because we never really like spent a lot of time doing that, mm -hmm. you know? And so I guess if you learned a lot of covers and you know the nuance of like what makes that specific song a song. Right. I mean, I've definitely done the genre exercise type bands. Like I've played in many, many very derivative bands. I mean, I still do, <laughs> but, but I think just over the years, I've finally sort of learned like what my strengths are as a songwriter and I'm trying to just play into those strengths 
whether that's, you know, just accept those, that those are my strengths and play into them rather than kind of like stubbornly try to play a genre of music that I'm not particularly like skillful at writing. Same. Like I would love to play in a death metal band and who knows, I, I probably will again. Um, but I just do recognize that like my strength is not writing death metal songs. I don't know if I could physically be any role in a death metal band. I think <laughs> okay. I'd love to be. I mean, like there was a point when I first met uh, my now wife uh, where I remember looking back and it seems funny now, but we would just drive around town and I would just be listening to suffocation, like, yeah, that rules. like nonstop, <laughs> but you know, and then, so now I feel like it's like, do I have to apologize to my wife? Like, it's like, that seems like torture now. Just like, Oh, cause she wasn't, on she wasn't just it. listening to suffocation or immolation. Like, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I, when you first said that, I thought you meant that she was into it too. And I was like, man, that sounds like a great date. That sounds fun. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if she was like, she was fine with it. I mean, she likes metal uh, to a point, but I think it was like, yeah, I think that was probably a little outside of what she would go to on a regular basis. But I don't, you know, I, I'm trying to think how regularly now I listen to death metal with with how much that it was like, such a big part of my development as like a younger metalhead. Like, I feel like one of the first kind of, like, I feel like for a while it was like, you know, it was like, I feel like I was a young punk and then I just was like all in on metal. Mm -hmm. And um, so then that involved like a big, really horrible metalcore phase. But also I had friends that were helping me like getting in, getting into like neurosis, but also like good death metal, you know, even stuff like Kurtopsy or Morbid Angel and like, you know, newer stuff like Hate Eternal and, um, you know, we could list them forever. But yeah, it was like a big part of my development. I don't know what the point of me bringing that up other than to name off a bunch of death metal bands, but... <laughs> But yeah, it's still like uh, what I was thinking about when I mentioned neurosis and like you were saying about kind of like uh, you were saying like Soundgarden, like listening to it and kind of like, I want to write an album like this. Uh, I feel like there's been legit times where I feel like I am ripping off a neurosis song, mm -hmm. but like we tune in standard and like, I can't imagine anyone would ever know mm -hmm. that I ripped mm -hmm. off neurosis. You know, it's like, and it's not like I purposely sat there and did it, but it's like, I think this might be a neurosis song. But then when I sing it and when we play it. Yeah, it's just presented in such a different yeah, it's context. Like, it's like more of a post-hardcore song. But even right. kind of realizing that, going back to what you were saying, it's like, I think when um, we started as the band, just like thinking about, like, I thought we were like, a like more of a post-hardcore band, whatever that kind of means. And then kind of like, I don't think i'd really play that way you know <laughs> like or, yeah realizing kind of i guess my limitations and going toward what i feel like i'm good at but then also bringing back something you said um uh, not really that you said it but i hate that it's i hate sometimes that it's like taking me so long to realize that but it, you know what are you gonna yeah, do yeah i feel you sometimes i think that like i'm like wow i'm like you know at various points in my mid-30s 
I remember thinking like, oh, I'm just like finally getting the hang of it now after doing this for 20 something years. You know what I mean? But I don't know. It takes time. It takes time. Some people but, are fast. Yeah. But I almost feel like it's like, even though that's the case, it's like, um, I like who I am now, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, it would have been cool if I would have realized some things about myself when I was like way younger, but I don't, you know, I think I'm the coolest I've ever been. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. Like musically or personally, it, it takes time to, to figure things out. Yeah, I mean, would you want to hang out with yourself at 20? Uh, Some aspects of myself and then other aspects would probably be very tiresome. (laughs) But to bring it, I guess to bring it back to Soundgarden, I feel like a cool thing about them is um, I look at like everyone in the band and I think that I would want to hang out with every single one of them. Mm. I wouldn't just because I love the band so much. It's too risky. <laughs> what if you just had a terrible experience with them? I, like I'm, so, I'm not the type of person who like, I'm usually the type of person I'm, I'm really happy to just like appreciate like people that I admire or musicians that I admire, artists that I look up to. Uh, or not even look up to, but admire. Uh, I'm, very happy to just appreciate them like from a distance i don't really have any desire to like meet my so-called heroes you know what i mean that doesn't really like enhance the experience of their music to me too much like like over the years like i've played like you know bands that i've been and have opened shows for you know like a lot of my favorite bands like classic bands, you know, and I can't really think of any instances where I like went out of my way to like meet the people in the bands or get a photo with them or anything. Um, Yeah, I'm just like happy to like watch them do their thing and just like enjoy, enjoy them like in that context rather than needing to have some sort of like personal um, relationship with them. Yeah, one, I would, normally i feel like i would mainly agree with you um when we opened for descendants like they were as nice as i would have hoped mm-hmm. and they were like we would we would have been trying to almost like avoid them because we didn't want to be like in their way in any capacity like it was essentially like they had a big like green room dressing room and then we had like a closet kind of off of it and that was fine like um so we were kind of shoot past it um and but when we kept going past it uh they they kind of stopped us and they're like you can have any of this food that you want like do you want pizza or do you want whatever it was it was like deli trays or whatnot and like even just simple things like that it's like cool you know like they didn't have to for sure and like carl alvarez was like what what base cab do you have like uh oh i wish i could have a ampeg 215 to like play these shows but we like he was like we rent the you know 810s and that's like basically what you can rent like you can't really rent 215s is what he said and so uh he was like oh man and i was like do you want to play it tonight <laughs> but you know but it was like he was like super cool but that has that's like not been in the guys in the bronx were super cool too um because they played that show as well but that's 
just like never going to happen again. Like, like right. you generally, it's been what you've said. Like, I, but I think that, and maybe we're saying it because like Chris Cornell passed away, but like, I feel like I've gotten to a point, like there was a point where I almost thought he was like the, uh, you know, the embodiment of like rock front man, but I'm also thinking about like, you know, uh, what was the band he did after Velvet Revolver? Is that the one? Uh, no. Um, Audio Slave, sorry. Audio Slave. Cause it's kind of like, it went both ways like with it um but uh you know i almost thought he was like that kind of guy but like you know i don't know what kind of person he would be on like a one-to-one basis but yeah 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 and when i say that i'm not interested in meeting like musical heroes of mine it's not even to say that i'm assuming that they're assholes or anything like that i'm sure many of them or most of them are like really really nice people but i just mean that for whatever reason i i just don't have that like urge to like go out of my way to meet them if i do happen to meet them and and they're friendly that's great like and i really appreciate that and i would be stoked but um usually i'm just happy to just enjoy their music yeah i mean like we um like i th- i think it's kind of i don't know if it's like an age demographic or like coming from like punk and hardcore like I guess there's like two facets. It's like you probably have kind of created this person in your head in a certain way. So if they're not that way, then that kind of bonds you out, even if they're not a jerk. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of like you've created who you think they are in your mind. So if you never meet them, then you get to kind of keep that image. Right? That's how I feel about it. And, you know, I guess the inverse, they might be a jerk. Uh, but also, like with punk and hardcore, it's like, you don't want to like kind of treat these people like they are like gods, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, so I don't think that I would, I don't think too, I would try and go out of my way to like make them feel uncomfortable for like, you know, what they kind of stand for in my mind. It's kind of like break those down and just have like the human interactions with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know where I'm going with that, but like, you know, it's, it's like a thing where it's, when I think about it like it's like I would want to just talk to these people as peers I don't know it's not even yeah exactly you know I mean here's the thing like everyone in a band is basically doing the same thing yeah you're going to practice you're writing songs you're playing shows you're making recordings you're doing tours that's what you know every band no matter what size you are that's what you're doing. So Soundgarden, that's what Soundgarden does. That's what your band does. You know what I mean? Obviously they're, they were doing it on a much more popular level. And of course, so there's differences that come with that, but at its base, you're both just doing the same thing. You're both just peers playing in a band. So I usually, whether someone is like more, whether someone's band is more popular than mine or less popular than mine, I just keep, I sort of keep that in mind. Like, oh, we're all just literally doing the same thing. We're just going to practice writing songs and playing shows. Like, we're we're the same. <laughs> we're you, uh, I, th- I think I've mentioned this to other people. Uh, it's like some sort of insight I'm trying to like glean. Um, do you think though that certain people that end up being successful, like maybe they're successful because they uh, do that illusion, like play that kind of game more than we're willing to? 
it's possible. <laughs> it's definitely possible. I've, yeah. I mean, I haven't, uh, I haven't achieved any significant success, so <laughs> I certainly couldn't tell you how it's. Well, uh, what I'm saying is, when this record comes out and you start touring again, I give you permission to be a huge jerk to me. <laughs> okay. So I'll give it a try. Another thing I found uh, where you were interviewed someone, it was actually a WordPress. So that kind of puts a date on it Mm -hmm. where you were kind of talking about like how important, like, I guess, like we'll say alt rock was kind of in your formative years. And even like when you were playing, I think you were at the point, like probably putting together like the devotion record. Uh, I'm guessing it might have been like a go it alone record, but I can't imagine, you know, but it was sort of like, um, I guess it was devotion because it was like, well, we wanted to kind of get away from kind of doing almost like our damnation AD riffs into more mm-hmm. rock yeah. element. And so bands like Down and COC were in Alice in Chains were kind of mentioned. So, you know, I guess like if there's anything to kind of get from that point in your life and how much like, I guess this type of music putting Soundgarden with it too had an impact on you. Yeah. I mean, Prior to getting into punk, I guess I got into punk. You know, it's funny, this morning when I was going over this record, I was looking at the dates of when it was released. So it was, it was released in 1994. And if I'm not mistaken, Dookie also came out in 1994. I believe. Which is so bizarre to me because in my mind, when I think back to my childhood, in my mind, I was into alternative rock and grunge for like a long time prior to making the jump to punk and sort of disowning all my rock records. But if I look at the dates when these records were recorded, it must've been like a year max. <laughs> yeah. I think about that kind of like my, almost um, like my punk ska phase and then into when I really just went, when I kind of viewed myself as like a metalhead. I think it uh-huh. was like two years. Right. Year. Right. Yeah, yeah. But at that time, I guess in the like formative time, it seems like a really long time. Yeah, I also think it probably kind of aided in it that you would almost by osmosis just be able to hear a lot, not like down per se, or uh, but you probably hear like Alice in Chains and uh, uh, you know any of the like Soundgarden. Well, you'd hear it on the radio, you know, Mm -hmm. and so uh, I think it probably had more time to seep in. You had glimpses of it throughout mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of radio playing even in the late 80s into the mid 90s or around 94 um so you know so i think it probably did feel like a longer time and it might have been but yeah it's always it's like i think this was a six month period of my life yeah really bizarre that was like a bizarre revelation that i had this morning yeah because the way it feels is that i was like fully alternative rock grunge guy that was like my identity and then when I discovered punk that was like a huge turning point in my musical life musical tastes but also like in my identity as a person so it's very it's sort of shocking to realize that that identity that seemed so um that, that first identity that seemed so entrenched had only existed for like a year. <laughs> Do you ever think about like how that identity could have been anything else? 
Um, I, I think about that in regards to punk sometimes. Sometimes I've entertained the sort of thought experiment of where would I be in life if I had never like gotten into punk. And I mean, who's to say really, but it sort of feels like it was inevitable. Like I can't really imagine any other way. Yeah, I, I can't either because I feel like even as like a little kid, um, like things on cable, just even being drawn to like, you know, like reruns of like 80s movies that had like, you know, cartoonish punks in them or like if they played like, like Up All Night played things like uh, Return of Living Dead and there was like, you know, a lot of punk on that soundtrack. Um, and before I really knew what punk was, there was that. Um, and there was even like a long before Bad Religion put out a Christmas record, they had Christmas songs uh, on the radio, like just like ones. I think it was like Silent Night. And I remember hearing that as like a little kid and then being like, what is this? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, I guess that's punk, you know, or like my parents driving past like somebody that had like a black flag shirt, not knowing what that was or seeing with like a mohawk and being drawn to it before I even knew what punk was. So I feel like it was always going to happen. Like, yeah. Yeah. I hear that. I was very similar. Like I've actually found old like drawing books from when I was a really young child, like in my parents' basement, I found these old notebooks that had a bunch of like primitive childish doodles that I had drawn in there. And primarily I was drawing dudes with mohawks riding skateboards. And this was like, you know, a decade before I knew what punk was. And this was before I had ever even ridden a skateboard. So when I, when I went back and saw those drawings, I was like, Oh, it was like, it was destined to be. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like, uh, well, my older brother, he's like, like 18 months older than me, but he got into skateboarding. So but he just almost like forced his way into doing it. And I don't even think my parents bought him the skateboard. Someone just gave him one and he was a skateboarder. Mm-hmm. So then by that token, they were never going to let me skateboard. So I got into BMX. Mm. And, uh, but just would like kind of ride behind him, you know, when he did stuff. Um, but like, yeah, but skateboarding still is like, if I were to look back on old drawings, it would have always been skateboarding because, you know, it's, yeah, but it's like, it's just this thing. It's like, like a little Bart Simpson in her DNA or something, you know, like, <laughs> like, like, I don't know what it is. Like, I don't know why that was like, I don't know. Like sometimes I'm like, I don't know based on like the way the rest of my family is. I don't know why I'm not just like an idiot Trump supporter that, you know, like does like dip or something, you know, yeah. like, you know, but instead I'm like, you know, vegetarian and straight edge. And I listen to, and we'll put it in the most of quotes, you know, punk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think there's probably just something. I'm the same way in the sense that I'm very unlike the rest of my family. So I think there was just something probably about our personalities that drew us to punk. And maybe we could have been drawn to some other sort of alternative or underground scene or subculture, but whatever the case, I don't think there was really any chance that I would have turned out like a normal uh, citizen. You know what I mean? Well, it's, it's funny. Cause uh, when I was talking with Norman Brannon, Norman said kind of a thing that they had um, 
was it was like you knew that everyone that was into you know the underground kind of using that term i guess hardcore for him uh was there for almost a reason so it was like the thing was what fucked up thing led you here you know yeah. like and that's that's how like norman put it i'm paraphrasing yeah. so i thought about that and was like of course you know and it's not like someone had to like experience like actual trauma or whatnot but it's like either some sort of thing led you to that you know mm-hmm. as a weird thing not really anything to really answer but yeah, yeah. it's I've, I've thought about that too because you know that's like a pretty common mm, thought that people express about being drawn to punk and i've thought about that in regards to my own life and it's sort of interesting because i can't really pinpoint what that like event or experience would have been that like pushed me towards like punk culture. Cause it almost seems like I just chose it and it was sort of like against my own best interests. Like I came just the background that I came from, like I came from like a really privileged background. So I could have had like a very uh, sort of like, mm, silver spoon like existence had I chose to you know it's not like my I'm not saying that my life has been particularly hard but for some reason when I was 12 or 13 I got into punk music and like chose to pursue this path that was going to make my life a little more uncomfortable yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think don't really like, know why I did that. Like it made, for example, make, again, this is like small, small potatoes compared to shit that a lot of people deal with. But making that choice, uh, it made my high school experience like way more difficult. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know what it's like in high school now, but at least at the time that I went, was in high school and where I was in high school, like choosing to be punk was just choosing to and engage in conflict every single day and choosing to have to deal with abuse from your peers every single day at school. Um, and I didn't need to make that choice. I didn't need to do that. I suppose I could have just chose to like keep that to myself, mm-hmm. but I chose to like express that. I chose to dress in like a bizarre, like punk manner. And that resulted in like, conflict you know what i mean yeah i mean for some reason it was important enough for me to like express that 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 i still did it yeah i think though like sometimes with you know i i don't know like you know i had friends that were well off at least compared to me you know um and i don't even know what that you know would have meant really for them it could have not meant much you know but uh like uh you know they were into punk too and then from my perspective like i'm like i don't you know, I didn't feel like they had any reason to, but, you know, something still led them there. And even if it's like, if you had a pretty well-adjusted childhood, even that can be something that sort of compels you to go almost like the other way. Yeah, it could be. You have stability, you're like, I'm going to add some instability so I have some sort of control. With the new record, uh, mm-hmm. the new Super Crush record. Uh, so that comes out when? October 9th. Okay, and I just pre-ordered my copy. I thought I did when the pre-orders went up, <laughs> and I could not find anywhere that I did. So there is a possibility that I will get two copies of it. 
you have a gift but, for somebody. But, but yeah, so that wouldn't be the worst. Um, you know, I think it's, I don't, I almost like, I want to stay away from using terms like long time coming. Like, I feel like it's like when I released, when we released our most recent record, people were like, you know, they haven't released a record in so long. And it's just like, you know, just living my life, you know, <laughs> like, you know, there's so much stuff like that happened in the meantime. Uh, but do you, do you like, did you feel that way? Like when you're coming up on the LP or did you kind of? Like, I mean, it's definitely a long time coming. That's true. And there is a certain pressure that comes with that. Because people will constantly tell you like, oh, I can't wait for the LP. I've been waiting so long. I've been waiting so long. And when I hear that, I'm always like, oh, that's awesome. But, you know, don't get your hopes too high. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want to, you know, that's a lot of pressure to live up to. Or those are just sort of high expectations to live up to. It's sort of like when you're on tour and someone comes up to you before you're set and it's like, Oh, I can't wait to see you guys. I drove six hours to be here. I'm always like, well, first of all, thank you. That's incredible. And second of all, that's like a lot of pressure. Like, what if we, what if we don't live up to your expectation? And you're like, God damn, I drove 12 hours round trip to see this like lackluster performance. Yeah. When we were doing the West coast tour, like actually it was funny. We were talking about kind of getting into Canada and whatnot, but the band that we were touring with, we were using all of their gear and uh um they couldn't get over the border because their drummer had a dui from a few years ago so they weren't getting in and so we didn't have any gear but luckily like at that space they had gear and all the bands let us use stuff but then it's like that's not even the gear that we kind of got used to on like the Mm -hmm. week before and i think i had a similar thing not like a six hour drive it's almost like i've been waiting for years to see you all and then i'm like Yeah, and you feel like, oh, you're not seeing, like, you're not getting the real experience. Yeah. The yeah. ideal version of it, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but in, yeah. Regards to the, in regards to the album, like, I'm pleased with the album. I think it's a good record. So I'm not, like, I'm not too worried about disappointing people. But, you know, there is a certain pressure that comes with a long wait before an album. Yeah, I mean, I think from, I mean, I've heard the record, um, uh, you know, I've listened to it a bunch of times and I think it's, it's, I think anyone who's followed like Super Crush through the years, like it's what I, it's almost feels like everything I would have hoped that you would have done on a record. Like, like, you know, you're, you're doing more things in terms of like kind of allowing more sounds. And, you know, I think I told you at some point it was like one song kind of made me think of like, ELO but you know it was just like an organ or whatnot and, mm-hmm. you know but um you know I feel like you definitely like took the time and there's lots of elements and layers that's the word I was looking for um you know that are in it like I can't imagine like anyone that wants this type of music it kind of like letting them down all right good perfect <laughs> so, so that's my review of it uh, I like that. I like that you bring up the layers, though. I was thinking about it this morning in regards to Super Unknown. I was trying to think, well, how does this Soundgarden record, my favorite album, how does it relate to what I do in in Super Crush? Obviously, the bands sound nothing like each other, but the way that I can think of that uh, the Soundgarden influence does manifest itself in Super Crush is probably in the layering of sounds like i was mentioning before i've listened to super unknown hundreds and hundreds of times 
And especially when I'm listening on headphones, every time I hear it, I notice a little something, a little detail, like a little layer or a little overdub or a little background addition um, that I hadn't noticed before. And that's kind of the approach that I try to do with Super Rush too. Like the songs are very simple. On their face, they're very simple songs. Um, and they're, they follow sort of a very simple pop formula. But I try to do a lot of layering of different sounds that hopefully gives them like some replay value. And perhaps you can, the listener can notice different little details on repeated listens. Yeah. Well, I mean, I super appreciate you, you know, taking all of this time to talk to me about it. And uh, so the upcoming album, uh, I think we mentioned, it's called Soto Pop. Uh, that's okay. coming out on October 9th on Don Giovanni Records. And is there, do you have any upcoming plans that you'd like to announce or I guess given in the times we live in you know? yeah well, I mean we've been I've been super busy with super crush stuff we haven't been playing shows obviously but uh, we have a couple other records in the works right now at various you know stages of completion um, so you definitely won't have to wait as long for the next record that's for sure already recorded and everything so i'm confident it will come out in a timely manner are you stuck at home and need new records but it doesn't feel safe to venture out or you don't want to support big box stores go to lunchboxrecords.com for the best new releases and a whole lot more if you live in charlotte north carolina you can do safe pickup but if you live elsewhere in the United States, they'd be happy to ship to you. At checkout, just enter discount code SPINNINGOUT for 10% off. Come on, you love new music, so trust me, it's easy. Welcome back. Thanks again to Mark, and can't wait for new Super Crush tunes. Seems like it's going to be sooner rather than later. I gotta say. Mark Palm is such a nice dude, and the new album Soto Pop is really one of the best of 2020. So pick it up. Treat yourself. Next week, we're talking with Elise Okusami of Oceanator, who also released a really amazing record this year. You should check that out. So Elise is a great friend of mine, and actually the first return guest from our original Instagram series. If you are interested in those 10 original Instagram live episodes, go check them out at, at LateBloomerNC. They're all on Instagram. That's how Instagram series works. What about next week? Elise and I will be chatting about Wolf Parade's 2005 album, Apologies to the Queen Mary. Thanks as always to Sarah Blumenthal for editing and producing this pod. Once again, rate, review, and subscribe. How about giving us five stars so you know it is in fact my birthday how about that on that note hit the theme I've been in it.